Good morning. Uh, The Word of God uh, today comes to us from Romans uh, and the New Testament, and we will be looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through uh, 15. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may, know, may now at least last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word, and we ask now that uh, your Holy Spirit would uh, be amongst us, uh, stirring in our minds and and hearts and uh, and souls as we hear your word, as we reflect on it, uh, that we may understand it uh, rightly and respond to it uh, in a way that is uh, good uh, and right. Uh, Father, be with me as I as I speak, uh, as to, uh, to preach your word is a task that is uh, too great for me or, or anyone. Uh, so give me your Holy Spirit to do that. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So consider uh, these two stories of two different uh, individuals, uh, the first of which uh, was an astounding intellect. And for, uh, for years in his life, you know, he sought to find you know, truth and, and, and the meaning of, of life. And and, um, you know, looked at different philosophies, different worldviews, you know, was a part of uh, different, different sects uh, that were uh, around at that time. And try as he might, he just could not, you know, come to the place where uh, he had peace in his soul. He desperately sought, uh, you know, to, to have peace, and he, he just couldn't quite get there, uh, no matter how many different, uh, you know, philosophies and, and worldviews that he had tried out. Uh, and at a certain point, he came to flirt with the, the truths of Christianity in his mind, uh, but just had not yet embraced uh, Christianity uh, in his heart. Uh, so one day, he was uh, with a friend in, in his friend's garden, and, and he actually heard uh, these children singing. Uh, they were singing in, in Latin, and the words that the, the children were singing were the words, take up and read. Uh, so this man thought it a little bit strange and, and, and thought this has to be some kind of divine message. 
uh, you know, that God is, is sending. And so at that moment, he immediately, you know, runs to a copy of, of the scriptures and, and, and rather randomly opens up the Bible. And, uh, you know, the verses that he reads, you know, instantly he, he says that uh, he was transformed, that, that the light, you know, you know, flooded, came on, and, and that the peace that he desperately so wanted his whole life, you know, he said that at that moment uh, he had found that peace. Uh, and even uh, earlier on in his life had lived uh, a, a really, you know, rather more immoral, you know, pagan uh, kind of lifestyle. Um, so the second man uh, almost did, you know, the opposite in a way that, you know, he believed in a moral life and he believed in being pious and, and you know, he tried for so much of his life to live in, in a way that uh, would earn God's favor, uh, to live in a way that, that he would find that, that peace uh, that piece of, of soul. Um, but the more that he tried to do this on his own, uh, really the more tormented he became, uh, you know, in, in his soul because he, he, he really wrestled with the idea of God's righteousness and, 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 and he wrenched, you know, over, you know, how can God be righteous and how can God demand that, that I be righteous? And, uh, you know, so the more and more that he tried to get closer to God, really he felt that you know, he was becoming farther and farther away from God and even began to, to hate God, you know, for this seemingly impossible uh, demand. Uh, so it was not until, you know, this man came upon, uh, you know, a couple of verses and he said instantly, uh, you know, the peace that he had, he had sought, you know, for so much of his life, that he had found that peace and, and the light went on and, and, and the truth became clear uh, to him. Uh, perhaps you can even identify with uh, one of these uh, stories, or perhaps both of these stories in your own lives, or perhaps these stories sound familiar uh, to you. Uh, the first man uh, is a man that is known as Augustine uh, from history, uh, and he was a man that you know God came to use in, in really mighty ways to alter uh, you know the course of of the church and of Christianity. Uh, the second man uh, is a German monk who was uh, known as Martin Luther, who God also, uh, you know, brought up and called to use uh, in, in just astounding ways, uh, you know, to really change the course of, of Christianity and, and of the church uh, in Europe. And we still, we still today feel, um, you know, some of the ways in which God uh, used both of these men. Uh, and what was similar uh, between these two men is that the, both books that they turned to in the Bible you know, the verses that they read in which uh, the light just came on were both uh, from, from Romans. Uh, so we begin today uh, our look at the book uh, of Romans. Uh, it's a monumental book. Uh, it's seen by many to be the grandest exposition of the gospel and of the Christian life in the Bible. Uh, it really is a kind of a manifesto where the doctrines of Christianity are expressed, uh, both with eloquence and passion. It can be a challenging book, uh, at times, uh, but it's a deeply rewarding book. Uh, the very same Martin Luther said of Romans, uh, quote, it is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul, unquote. Anyone memorized Romans uh, word for word? Uh, John Calvin, uh, pastor and theologian and reformer, uh, said of it, quote, if we have gained a true understanding of this epistle, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures of Scripture, unquote. And then for uh, all the literature nerds out there, uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, the English poet, 
said that Romans is, quote, the profoundest book in existence, unquote. Very high praise there. Uh, So Romans was written essentially so that the gospel of God would be known more greatly. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans. Uh, He wrote it uh, from the city of Corinth, which was in Greece, uh, probably in the year AD 57. And his plan at that time uh, was to stop in Rome on his way from Jerusalem to Spain. Uh, he had intended to go to Jerusalem to bring, uh, you know, a gift, a monetary gift to the churches. And he intended to end up in Spain uh, in which he would, uh, you know, continue his missionary activity. So that was Paul's plan, but uh, as of that point, he had not yet gotten to Rome. So he writes to this church in Rome, uh, likely made up of these, these house churches, uh, made up of a mix of both Jewish and Gentile Christians, uh, evidently the majority being Gentile, uh, you know, as Romans tells us. And it's not known 100%, but perhaps uh, the very church in Rome started uh, with Jews who were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and had returned, you know, from, from Pentecost with the message and with what they had seen and with what they had heard. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned in verse 10, we see that Paul had not yet made it to Rome, even though he desperately had wanted to. God uh, had not, uh, you know, allowed him to do so uh, as of that time. Uh, and so what do we know of Rome? It was a city uh, of flourishing and of beauty. Uh, it was a city of strength and might, really the hub of the world at the time, but also uh, a place of uh, manifold temptations and, and, and spiritual despair. Yet in all this, uh, in verse 8, uh, in Romans 1, Paul mentions that the faith of these Roman Christians uh, had been, become well-known uh, you know, at that time. Uh, the book of Romans addresses many subjects, such as God's wrath, Adam's relationship to Jesus, uh, antinomianism, which was a view against the law, the struggle of the soul, present suffering contrasted with joy in the future, the nation of Israel, love, taxes, vegetarianism, uh, the strong and the weak, uh, Satan, uh, and philanthropy, uh, among others. Uh, If we can do so and boil it down, there are two basic themes that unfold uh, in Romans. Uh, The first is God's justification of guilty sinners by his grace in Jesus Christ through faith. Uh, And the second is a, a new way of defining the people of God not according to culture or ethnicity, but through the prism of the gospel uh, of faith in Jesus. And it's the very gospel that that transcends culture and language, uh, race, sex, financial status, and every other category that we can think of. Uh, Ultimately, the gospel brings freedom. Uh, So Romans is a letter. Uh, So at the outset, there are some important things that we need to draw our attention to. Uh, Every letter uh, typically has a a kind of a greeting, uh, and with Romans, it's a little bit longer than uh, other other letters that that Paul has, and, and, uh, you know, it's um, intentional that that he makes this greeting a little bit longer. Uh, He didn't personally know the Christians to whom he wrote because he had not yet been there and met them. Uh, Therefore, you know, he adds a little bit, you know, to this greeting uh, in Romans. Uh, so what's important about, to know about Paul, uh, his life, his upbringing? Uh, well, he was born a Jew. Uh, he was a proud one at that and had received training in the law uh, from the foremost teacher of the law, a man named Gamaliel. 
Uh, so for Jews at that time, you know, Gamaliel would have been widely known, and, and probably you would be hard-pressed to find anyone who did not know uh, this man, Gamaliel, um, because he was you know, the cream of the crop when it came to you know, things of the law and, and, and being a teacher of the law. Uh, Gamaliel was a Pharisee, and so uh, Paul, or Saul, as uh, you know, we sometimes know him, uh, and it's thought that uh, Saul was his given Jewish name, but you know, Paul was uh, the name that he went by kind of in the Roman way, uh, because Paul also had Roman citizenship. Uh, so Saul, Paul, uh, he became a Pharisee and, and came to be the front and center of, of the persecution of Christians. Uh, we read in Acts 9-1 that he was breathing threats and, and murder uh, against the Christians. Uh, he was a man that was you know, greatly feared. He was a man who was ruthless. Uh, and in, in Saul's mind, uh, by zealously hunting followers of Jesus, uh, he was protecting the sacred law, so he thought. You know, he was, by doing this, he was actually pleasing God by seeking to get rid of these, these agitators, these, these followers of, of Christ. However, God had different plans uh, you know, for Paul. Uh, also in Acts 9, we read that he was on the road to Damascus. Uh, there was a blinding light, and then the risen Jesus appears to him and says, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, and from there, there on out, completely uh, redirects Paul's uh, life. So in the very first verse, uh, as you can see there, Paul identifies himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. Uh, the Greek word is actually slave, uh, but it's not the typical way that we think of, of slave. Uh, it's one who willingly belongs to his master, uh, one who freely uh, submits to his master. Uh, and the very you know, idea that the picture of it is, is total uh, devotion to one's master. Uh, Paul also identifies himself uh, as an apostle. Uh, an apostle is one who was sent. Uh, he's a messenger. Uh, but more than that, he was sent by, by Jesus Christ himself, uh, sent by his uh, authority uh, to spread Jesus' teaching, uh, to encourage the early churches in the gospel. Uh, also, an apostle had to be an eyewitness of the risen Jesus. Uh, so we may ask, well, how is, how is it that Paul is to be considered among the original group of the apostles who were there with Jesus um, before he ascended? Uh, well, it is by virtue of the fact that he, he witnessed Jesus on that Damascus road as Acts tells us about. Uh, therefore, you know, he met that qualification of, of, of being a witness to uh, the risen Jesus. So by establishing these things in the greeting, uh, it really gives weight you know, to, to what Paul writes, to what he, to what he teaches, uh, you know, both to those Christians that he wrote to in that day uh, and for also for us today. Uh, so Paul the Apostle, a servant of Christ, uh, you know, writes this book of Romans uh, really to talk about the gospel. Uh, the gospel is mentioned by Paul uh, several times early on uh, in Romans. What is the gospel? Uh, well, it's the good news. Uh, it's the good news in midst of, of bad news, uh, that we are dead in our own sinful condition. Uh, the gospel really is different from any other world religion uh, that we might come across, uh, each of which uh, essentially offer their own man-made ways of, of salvation, you know, man-made ways of, of trying to, to reach God uh, and uh, obtain the peace that you know, both Augustine and Martin Luther uh, had tried and failed to do you know, before 
um, they came to know the gospel. Uh, the gospel delivers us from the very thing that we cannot deliver ourselves from, the guilt of our sin before a holy God. Uh, later on in the book, in chapter 7, you know, Paul writes uh, in verse 24, you know, who will deliver me from uh, this body uh, of death? Uh, the gospel is from God. God is the author of the gospel. Uh, he's the source of the gospel. Uh, you know, it's no man-made philosophy or worldview. Uh, the gospel is about Jesus Christ. It concerns him, as Paul says. Uh, and as we see in verse 2, it was the very thing uh, promised by the Old Testament prophets uh, to be fulfilled in Jesus. So it's important for us to see the, the continuity between both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's important for us to see the continuity of uh, the covenant that God establishes with the people that he calls to himself Uh, This very covenant, uh, you know, weaves throughout the scriptures, both in the Old and the New Testament, and really culminates uh, in Jesus. The gospel is written down uh, in this very book, the Holy Scriptures. Uh, We don't have to to go and and try to find the gospel in in some far-off place, you know, some hard-to-reach place. Uh, Rather, God has, has come down to us. He's given us the gospel that we may know it and that we may find life in it. Uh, the gospel or the good news uh, comes to us by God's grace that we've you know, sung about this morning. Uh, God's grace is uh, his unmerited favor you know, towards sinners, undeserved uh, favor. Uh, here in Romans and elsewhere, uh, Paul makes sure to emphasize God's grace, uh, testifying to it in his own life time and again as if by saying, you know, why God saved me, uh, saved my life, and called me to, to preach Jesus, who I used to hate, and, and encourage the very people that I used to hunt down, I do not know. Uh, the grace of God is both amazing, uh, and it's, it's mysterious, uh, I think, at the same time. So then the question comes to us, uh, the question, you know, who is, who is Jesus? Uh, you know, you think about those questions, you know, throughout time that, that, that come up time and, and time again. Uh, you know, is there a God? Uh, what's the meaning of life? Uh, you know, how do they get that ship in the glass bottle? Um, actually, I think we know, right? They do the bottle around the, the ship. Um, I don't know exactly how it, how it works, though. Uh, but the question of who is Jesus, you know, perhaps is, is the most important question uh, that that we can face, that, that we can answer. Uh, well, Paul, you know, addresses uh, this question uh, in Romans chapter 1. Uh, he writes that Jesus uh, is a descendant of David according to the flesh, uh, as you see in, in verse 3. This emphasizes Jesus' humanity, uh, also his humility. Uh, it, it tells us that, that Jesus, you know, came from a, a line of, of humans through history, Again, going back to the Old Testament, um, you know, seeing David there and seeing that this promised Messiah uh, that, uh, that we see in the Old Testament uh, is actually Jesus himself. Paul also says in verse 4 that he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Uh, this emphasizes Jesus' exaltation. So Jesus' humility Jesus' exaltation. So for Paul, the, the resurrection of Jesus is front and center. Uh, 
Elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul says that without it, uh, Christianity is basically a lie. It falls apart. So here in verse 4 of Romans 1, uh, by using the word declared, Paul is saying not that Jesus became the Son of God at his resurrection, that he morphed into or transformed into the Son of God, uh, rather that what was veiled before that time uh, in the weakness of the flesh that Jesus put on uh, had now in power uh, demonstrated that Jesus was uh, and is the Son of God. In verse 4 and 7, Paul also writes that Jesus is Lord. Uh, this was actually the very first confession of, of Christians, uh, you know, in the first century. You know, just those three simple words, Jesus is Lord. Uh, and for us today, we must also, you know, make the same confession. We must also acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Uh, if Jesus is not Lord, then he cannot be Savior. Uh, you know, some people want to, uh, you know, separate those two or say that, well, Jesus can be a Savior, um, but as far as you know, submitting to, to Jesus as Lord, you know, giving full control of my life to Jesus. Uh, I'm not so sure uh, about that. Uh, but there's no room, uh, friends, in Scripture, you know, for that thinking. Uh, it's impossible, you know, for Jesus to be Savior uh, of us and not also to be our Lord. Uh, Christianity is about Jesus, uh, but more than that, Christianity is Jesus. Uh, John Stott, who uh, is a pastor and theologian, uh, has these words. Quote, the person and work of Christ are the rock upon which the Christian religion is built. If he is not who he said he was, and if he did not do what he said he had come to do, the foundation is undermined, and the whole superstructure will collapse. Take Christ from Christianity, and you disembowel it. There is practically nothing left. Christ is the center of Christianity, all else is circumference. So in hearing these words uh, about Jesus, about who he is, about what he has done uh, in this first chapter of Romans, uh, that he is the Son of God, that he was raised from the dead, uh, that he is both Savior and Lord, you know, what is to be our response? Uh, well, we are to believe in Jesus, you know, believe in his name, uh, believe who he says that he is, and believe that uh, he has done what he has said he has done, that everything that he has accomplished is sufficient to save us from our sins, to save us uh, from death, both physically and spiritually, uh, and that there is no other way. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples in John fourteen six, I am the way, uh, the truth, and the life. Uh, so Paul, uh, in those first couple verses, uh, in verse 5, you know, he writes of the obedience of, of faith. Uh, faith means believing in Jesus, uh, and true faith expresses itself in obedience. Obedience is, is active, uh, it's practical. It means submitting ourselves uh, to the lordship of Jesus, of acknowledging that every single part of our lives uh, are under his uh, dominion. Uh, so friends, to, to, to what or to whom uh, is your allegiance? Uh, you know, where does our commitment lie? Where does our devotion lie? Uh, like the brothers and sisters that, that Paul wrote to uh, in Rome, uh, we are surrounded by you know, all kinds of temptations and, and pleasures that promise uh, fulfillment. 
some of which are even in and of themselves good, some of which are, are gifts of, of God, but they ascend to that level where, like Augustine, like Luther, you know, we, we seek for, for that peace in our souls you know, from those things. Uh, we are met with all kinds of, of philosophies and, and views of the world uh, and even religion that promise salvation. Um, you know, it's not just outside the church that we see these things. Even, you know, within the church sometimes there are, you know, different views about who Jesus was and, and is and, and what it really means uh, to have salvation. So all of these, uh, you know, when put up against the gospel, the good news, you know, come up empty. Uh, only the gospel brings that true freedom uh, and fills the deepest desires uh, in our spiritual DNA. Uh, in verse 11, uh, you know, if you look there, uh, Paul expresses a, a strong desire to see these brothers and sisters in Rome uh, and to strengthen them in the gospel, uh, part of his calling as an apostle, you know, as he draws attention to uh, in the greeting. Uh, but he also longs for the mutual encouragement that flows out of each other's faith. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, God does not just uh, save us uh, only for ourselves um, to experience joy as Christ followers, you know, as individuals only. Uh, as amazing as it is um, that God works in our lives, you know, in different and unique ways, um, but we experience the growth and, and the joy and the encouragement uh, of the good news of the gospel as we live together, as we uh, relate to one another uh, within the church. Uh, as we benefit each other with the different gifts that God uh, has given us. Uh, Tim Keller and others have said that uh, really it's impossible to uh, fully experience the life and the joy of the gospel, you know, apart from others, uh, you know, apart uh, from community. So uh, we must commit ourselves to, uh, you know, really immersing in all the opportunities uh, to learn from each other, to live out our faith, uh, to grow as the body of Christ. Uh, it includes, you know, Sunday worship uh, on Sunday morning, you know, things like small groups, uh, you know, intentional relationships, you know, things of that nature uh, are the ways that, that God blesses us, uh, you know, as we come to uh, a greater understanding of the gospel, of what it means to, you know, to live the gospel life. Uh, and never, you know, losing sight of, of God's rescue of you uh, as a believer in Jesus, uh, his grace to you, uh, his unmerited favor, his free, unconditional love in Jesus. Uh, listen to the words uh, of this poem here. Uh, the author uh, is anonymous. Don't know who wrote it, uh, but, uh, but listen to the words. Though long and dark the stairs I trod, with trembling feet to find my God, gaining a foothold bit by bit, then slipping back and losing it, never progressing, striving still, with weakening grasp and faltering will, bleeding to climb to God while he serenely smiled, unnoting me. Then came a certain time when I loosened my hold and fell thereby, down to the lowest step my fall, as if I had not climbed at all. Now when I lay despairing there, Listen, a footfall on the stair, on that same stair where I, afraid, faltered and fell and lay dismayed. And lo, when hope had ceased to be, my God came down the stairs to me. Let's pray.